Well, good afternoon again. Hope you're all okay and doing well. You might be surprised to know this, I don't know, but one of the poorest countries in Africa has a Rotary Club uh, in its capital, where many people go to. And uh, in a a couple of years ago, there was a, a very nasty flood in California, and uh, houses were being filled with water and all that good stuff that happens in uh, in floods. And uh, the a gentleman called uh, Mr. McCabe, who was the president of the Rotary Club in Guerneville, California, this is where the flood took place, received a letter. He received a letter uh, from the president of the Rotary Club in um, Bujumbura, capital of Burundi. And this is what the letter said. In the spirit of Rotary International, the letter read, a club even as poor as ours wishes to share this modest contribution from the members in response to the flood that has devastated your area. We trust this contribution will display our solidarity with you in your time of grief. Please find enclosed a cheque for $200. Um, God bless them. Uh, that's a wonderful, heartwarming story, isn't it? Or is it? Well, we'll see. We'll see as we go through. Well, we're continuing our series in the book of Matthew. And uh, we have been spending quite a bit of time now in the what's called the, the Sermon on the, on the Mount, sort of Matthew 5 to, through to Matthew 7. And we're, we're continuing that today. As Hannah read for us, we're in, in uh, chapter 6. And this, this whole section, verses 5 to 7, uh, if you've if you have been here for a few weeks, you will have heard us talk about this. This is the the first of several blocks of teaching that we find in Matthew that Jesus Jesus gave, and this is uh, he's teaching to his disciples, and some other folks are listening in at the same time. And uh, in chapter five, he started out by telling us about the the kind of characteristics, the kind of uh, people that his followers would be. And then he's gone on to describe uh, their attitudes in common situations, in situations that often often crop up, and how how his followers would respond in those situations. But now we're moving on into chapter six, and in chapter six, Jesus is starting to think about his his followers' desires rather than their attitudes. What 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 are they desiring in their heart? So let me pray and we'll get into this. Heavenly Father, uh, you are a God who has uh, not seen uh, fit to leave us uh, without knowing who you are and what you're like and what you want. You've given us the Bible, uh, 66 books of uh, your words, your words to your people, which right now, right here is us. And we thank you for that. Lord, will you please, through your Holy Spirit, Uh, Open this passage up to us so we can understand what you want us to know and how to apply it into our lives. Amen. Amen. So here we are. We're here in chapter 6 and uh, there's there's sort of three sections, three lumps. The first one is about uh, giving. If you look in your Bible there from uh, sort of verses 1 down to verse 4 and then prayer, uh, verses 5 down to uh, sort of 15 and then 16 to 18 about fasting. So what we're going to do 
is to, we're going to look at the first bit and the last bit. And then next week, we're going to do the middle bit. So it's sort of like a sandwich where you're getting the two pieces of bread today, and next week you're getting the filling, if you think of it in that way. That might not be helpful to you. It's helpful to me. What can I say? So uh, we're going to think about uh, about these sort of these the first and this last section, uh, but each one of them, are giving and prayer and fasting, uh, these are activities that the Jewish people would be doing very often. This was this was part of their daily life. Uh, uh, they would encouraged in the, in the first century to do these things if they were to live a righteous life as Jewish people. So Jesus is, is very familiar with them. The disciples are very familiar with them. And he uses them to illustrate some very important points for us. Uh, yes, he's going to talk about those things, and he does talk about those things, to be clear, and, and we will spend some time looking at them. But he's far more concerned about the nature of our hearts and our obedience to him. He wants to know what is our motivation when we're doing these things. So that's what we're going to uh, do today. If you're taking notes today, we're going to sort of explore three sort of areas. The first one where we're going to spend most of our time is uh, thinking about uh, that, that idea of our heart, our attitude, our desires. And then, then we're going to look specifically at giving and fasting, as Jesus has talked about them there. So let's let's dig into that first point. Uh, I suppose you could say that was Jesus' main point of this part of the, the the sermon on the on the mount. And right off at the start, he tells us what it's all about. And it, and it's one of those things where if you're not careful, you just your eye just skips over it and gets down into the detail. I once did a uh, a test uh, at work where there was where where we were told to follow a strict set of instructions, and there were twenty two sets of instru- twenty two lines. Uh, line one says something like, "Write your name at the top of the page." Line two says, "Open your book." Line three says, "Put your pen down." Uh, sorry, line three says, "Go to point question twenty two." You go down to question 22 and it says, put your pen down and wait quietly for everyone else to finish. And what everybody did, including myself, was to go, okay, one, two, three, okay, that goes down to 22, I'll do that later. Now what does four say, what does five say, what does six say? And you spent like 20 minutes, half an hour going through all this stuff, which was totally not the point of of what was going on. Uh, So Jesus tells us the point right there in verse one. Be careful... Not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So again, we want to be careful. We don't want to jump to conclusions here. Uh, we see what we want to see. You know, Jesus is not saying, don't do good things. Okay, Because you could read that and read the next bit and go, oh, he doesn't want us to do good things. No, he says, he says elsewhere in the Bible, he talks a lot about doing good things. In Ephesians uh, chapter 2, it says that uh, uh, we've had good works created in advance for us to do. So it doesn't mean don't do good works. And many people, when they read this section, would also say, 
Jesus doesn't want you to do your good deeds where others can see you. Okay, and there's something to that, but just keep your finger there. Just turn back over a page to Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Just back in the previous chapter, Matthew 5, verse 16. It says, in the same way, we'll go back to, go back to maybe verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Mm. So are we supposed to do things in public or are we not supposed to do things in public? No. Well, the Bible never contradicts itself, so so it, it is. So certainly, if the previous thing is, is true, then we have to be clear. And if we read verse one carefully, Jesus is not saying that it's wrong to do your good deeds in public, to do things in public. What is he saying then? What is he saying? So read that verse again, yeah. Yeah. Don't practice your good deeds in front of others to be seen by them. Don't let the reason that you're doing good deeds in front of others be for them to go, oh, wow, you're really wonderful, aren't you? <laughs> you're really good. You're really, you're really good. You really like, you know, do good things for people. Uh, oh, you're, you're really hardworking and talented and, oh, look how you pray and look how you give. That is not our motivation for doing things. But that's what some of the Jewish people were doing. Look there in verse 2, it says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by men. Uh, and he also talks about that the, the, that, in, that sort of idea in the other two sections as well. Uh, th- these folks were praying in very public places in verse 5. Uh, when they were, but they were fasting, they they were miserable. Verse sixteen. Oh, look at me! I'm not eating today. Look how holy I'm being. It's really boring. I'm really hungry. I'm doing it for God. Because because when we're saying that, we're doing it to look for other people's approval and appreciation, not God's. You'll have memories of of uh, children playing perhaps you, yourself when you were a child or your own children if you have children maybe someone else in your family and they do that thing where they show off when they're playing you know what I mean they're, they're, they're doing uh, they're uh, playing at theatres or pop stars or whatever it is usually painfully overacting and clearly doing it for you to go wow you're so clever that's pretty much what the Jewish people were doing but they were doing it not for their parents, they were doing it for all people to go, oh wow, you pray really well. Look how well you're praying. The word hypocrite, and, and that comes, I mean that's mentioned in each section, that comes, uh, it, it comes with a lot of emotion for us, doesn't it? I think, I think, you know, that's a very strong word in our language these days, you hypocrite. Um, we talk about it sometimes when people aren't What's the phrase? People don't walk the walk or talk the talk, I suppose. Um, here the word 
in, in its original meaning is, is referring to an actor in a Greek play. Okay, so uh, some, some thespian, big word, actor on the stage, um, and the hypocrites would act wearing a mask. So they would have a mask on their face. Uh, so their performance was not really who they were. It was something that was being done for, for public consumption. Uh, but that wasn't really who they were. It wasn't the real person behind the mask. And that's what Jesus is comparing these people to. He's saying in terms of your giving, your praying, uh, you're doing it all for show. You don't need to see the people around you. So look again in verse two, verse 2 there. Uh, uh, I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. And he uses the, he uses the same phrases in the other sections as well. Uh, Jesus is saying that these people who've been bigging themselves up out there on the street, these people have been doing it looking for the approval of men. They've put on a performance, put on a performance like an actor in a Greek play. Everyone goes, wow, they're really holy. They must really love God. And Jesus says, God is not going to reward them for that. That they have received their reward. What reward have they received? What they've got? What they've got? What they've got is the admiration and the respect, perhaps, of the people around them. You know, everyone around them has said, yeah, good stuff. And and they've got that reward. They've got that respect. Respect matters to people. Okay. But that's all they will get. That is the only reward they will get. Go back to verse 1. They will not receive any reward from God the Father. God our Father wants us to seek his approval and his rewards. He's concerned that our desire, that our hearts, is for his approval and only for his approval. Then we would be meek. Remember he said, blessed are the meek. Earlier in chapter 5. One writer helpfully, helpfully summarizes this. He says, uh, and I love the way he says it. He says, the disciples... Disciples of Jesus, disciples are to be seen doing good works, but not doing good works in order to be seen. Say that again. Disciples are to be seen doing good works, but not doing good works in order to be seen. See the difference? Can you see the difference? Uh, Jesus' followers are not to be showing off their, whatever word, religiosity is that word? but meekly doing the work that God has set out for them to do. Just while we're getting these our, our categories right and thinking about this right, let's also just, just take a moment and think about the, that word reward and what it means here. Uh, it's something that God provides. It's the reward of God. Okay, so we're, we're good for that. We know we know that, that God is doing that. Um it's not the reward of men. We get the reward of men. That's appreciation and approval and all that. Uh, this idea from reward from God is a little bit trickier. Uh, is Jesus saying 
that the reward for these good behaviours is to be saved, to have a right relationship with God? No. Now, you've heard us say many times, and and it's true, or I I hope you've heard us say, you know, you're only saved through faith in Jesus. We're only saved when we turn from our rebellion and turn to him. So it doesn't save us in that way. That's not the reward we're talking about. Is this then, uh, as, as some of the preachers on TV will tell you about, earthly riches and success and prosperity? You know, do these things and you will have your own personal jet in five months' time. No, it's not that kind of thing. It's not that kind of reward. It's not about riches and power and status in that way. Because if it was, it would be just like us just negotiating with God, just dealing with God. You know, if I do this for you, you'll do this for me. That isn't how, how God works. Uh, this reward is not about materiality. This reward is about spiritual things. This reward is not about what happens today. This reward is what will happen in the future. And Rich will bring us a message on that in a couple of weeks' time uh, to make it clear that that's not the case. Uh, the, the language here is about... Uh, it seems to just... The language in the original Greek here seems to suggest that this reward from God is something in the future. It's something... That will be when a Christian is face to face with Jesus in heaven. When we experience the new heaven and the new earth, we will find this reward. All Christians will be in heaven, but some will receive some rewards, some will receive other rewards. We don't know what that will look like, we don't know how that exactly hangs together. But we do know from... Uh, things like the, you'd be familiar with the parable of the talents and those kind of things. That there are rewards in heaven and they are different rewards for, for different people. This idea of, of getting a, a, a reward has just been a constant temptation for the people of God. Whether you're talking about Israel in the Old Testament or the Church of God in the New Testament or Rotherham Evangelical Church. Uh, there was a, a lovely book called uh, When People Are Big and God Is Small. And that's the sense. You know, we, we, we care too much, too often we care too much about others, what others think. We seek their approval and we, we don't worry about what God thinks. And we're happy and content with, with that approval and with those rewards. Rather than seeking out the approval of our loving Creator Father, which is so much, so much better. It's, We've quoted before, you know, the line from C.S. Lewis about playing with a mud pies in the street instead of going to the beach at the seaside. And I say we because I've got to tell you, in just being open with you, that God has given me a real beating when I was studying for this passage this week. I mean, he gave me what in the southern states of America would be known as a good spanking when I was reading this. Uh, Boy, did I have some repenting to do. Um, and you've got to thank God for the Bible, haven't you? The way in which he opens up passages like this, and the Holy Spirit just goes, look at this, you need to sort yourself out. Praise God for it. And uh, I thank God for that. Um, 
But it's but it's a hard balancing, isn't it? If we're not going to if we're going to do this if we're going to do good deeds and we're not going to seek the approval of the people around us, but on the other hand we're going to do good deeds where people can see them, how do we balance that? Just practically, you know, how can we balance that? How are we going to guard against that? Uh, I'm sure and, and this is true, don't you think this is true? The Christian life is full of these balances. It's full of things where there's a tension between two things. Um, and here's another one. L- like all those balances, I, I do not think we get them right all the time. But as we were saying two weeks ago, God is our Heavenly Father. He's called Father for a reason. He's called Father because He loves us, because He cares for us as, as an earthly father would for their children. He's not looking for for perfection, but he is looking for obedience. He's not looking for us to get it bang on right every time, but he is looking for us to, to try our best. He wants to know that we're, we're trying to be more like his son, that we're fighting to be more like Jesus, not just accepting, yeah, it's okay. You're okay as you are. Don't worry. It's what Jerry Bridges calls acceptable sins. We don't want to do that. God knows it's hard. God knows it is hard to manage our desires. It's hard to manage our our hearts. But He also knows that desiring something other than Himself, desiring someone else's approval, is like adultery. He is a jealous God, rightly so, because only God is worthy of our praise. Only God. It is only to Him that we should look for. Approval. One writer suggested a practical way to do this is, is to have a very forgetful memory. Now, I've got a forgetful memory. Do, do you do that thing where you walk into a room and go, okay, why did I come in here? Uh, you know, do you, do you spend large amounts of your life looking for your keys? that you have left in various places around the house. I once, I once lost my, my wristwatch. That, that is why I no longer wear one. Uh, I once lost my wristwatch for six months. And I finally found it down the side of the bed. Now, now, why did I put it down the side of the bed? I do not know. I could not tell you. But, but my memory is like a, like a, like a thing with holes in, what's the thing with holes in? And um, so, uh, yes. So, so God encourages us to have a very forgetful memory when it comes to doing good. Uh, saying, okay, when you do good, forget it's happened. Don't keep keep it in your heart and go, oh, I've done something good today. I've done something good today. Forget it. Just move on. Other people may not forget it. Hopefully it will encourage them and, and uh, encourage their faith. Fantastic. But don't dwell on it. Move on to the next thing. I thought that was a very helpful helpful suggestion. It can be hard as well because we're, we're told to encourage one another, particularly when we're using our spiritual gifts. Do you remember we were talking about that when we were in Ephesians? Uh, some of us have spiritual gifts of encouragement. Some of the people here, I know, have, have gifts of encouragement. How can you use your spiritual gift of encouragement 
if you're saying to someone, oh, well done, thanks for doing this, and they're going, no, don't say that because, you know, I'm not doing it for your approval. Uh, it could all get a bit a bit silly. Um, we want to be perhaps more careful in our language. Not in any kind of fake, flaky, staged way, but but... You know, I'm thankful for how God spoke through you today. Not I'm thankful for what you said. Uh, uh, I'm thankful for what you do. Uh, I feel and, and be more fun, more comfortable to say, oh, you know, thank you for your encouragement. I can see that you have the gift of encouragement or, or give glory to God for that because, you know, it's not me. Rather than thanks, it was nothing. There's nothing. Okay. Um, and, and this can be really hard because those things can become very insincere and mechanical and we just don't want to recreate the problem again. But perhaps be more, more thoughtful in our language and how we express, um, just not getting really over verbose when we're, we're thanking people. Yeah. Um, or indeed becoming more mechanical when we say praise God or give glory to God, that sort of stuff. Because again, that can become very flaky. Uh, a good friend of mine, forgive me if I've told you this story, a good friend of mine, uh, when he was growing up as a, as a, as a Christian, uh, there was a Christian man who, who he knew who would, after every sentence, pray, say praise the Lord. So whatever it was, you know, uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing great today. Praise the Lord. Whatever it was, it was praise the Lord. Uh, up until the point where one day his wife had been ill and was suffering with an illness and someone said to him, you know, uh, how's she doing? Oh, she's really sick today. Praise the Lord. And then I was like, uh, okay. Uh, and everyone kind of points out to me at this point, you've gotten too far with this thing. You know? um, too mechanical. It's balance that we're striving for. It's balance and, and our hearts being in the right place. Uh, this balance can also be hard for those of you who, uh, as I do, express love and appreciation through words of appreciation. I don't know if you knew this. There are five ways to show love to people. And each one of us has one particular one that we tend to do more than the others. And one of them is words of appreciation. So that you feel most loved when people say to you, thanks very much, do do uh, you show love the most when you say, I really am thankful for what you've just done. Thank you for this. Uh, if that's the love language you speak, this can become then very hard in this situation. Uh, because uh, if, that, if, that, you know, if, if someone is, is saying to if, if, if nobody's saying to you, thanks very much for what you've done, you're sort of like, oh, okay, nobody loves me. Uh, or... If you want to say that to someone, you say, thanks, thanks very, oh, I can't say that then, no. So there's a real balance here about how we express approval and appreciation for others. We want to do it, but we want to do it for the glory of God. We want to say, thank you, but I thank God for what you've done. You want to say, thank you uh, for your words of appreciation. Um, give the glory to God. It's him. It's not me. Um, and Jesus sets out for us a test here where we can test our heart. He sets out a test here and this is a really good test. 
And this is the one that might just get you. How do we spend our time when nobody's there? When there's you on your own, how do you spend your time? What do you think about when you're on your own? Where is your heart when you're on your own? When there's nobody to put on a show for? When there's nobody to give those words of appreciation, what do we do? How do we express ourselves? What good deeds do we do? Are those times consistent with what we do in public? Or are they different? One writer very helpfully said, the most important part of a Christian's life is that part that only God sees. Because that part that only God sees is the real us, so to speak. Because there's nobody else that we're putting on a show for. The most important part of a Christian's life is that part that only God sees. So that was really thinking about our heart and our desires and, and are we going to get our desires into the right place? Are we going to be seeking uh, men's approval? But then Jesus goes on and he, and he applies this in three different sections. As we were saying at the start, three different sections and the first one is in giving. So let's have a look at that. Let's follow Jesus' logic. And in this sermon on his, this sermon on the mount, as it's on giving, perhaps that should be called Sermon on the Amount. Uh, sorry, just a little old accounting joke for you there, um, from an old accountant. Um, but they're the, the, just part of the Jewish law. The, the, they were t- the, the Jews were told to give to the poor and to the temple. Uh, and Jesus, notice Jesus is clearly transferring that instruction to his disciples. Go down there into verse 2. So when you give to the needy. Not if you give to the needy, when you give to the needy. There was no welfare state in Israel at that time, so this was really important. This was how people who who couldn't support themselves would be supported by by this part of the of the Jewish law. Uh, and so he takes that, and he, he again he says he says you you know don't be like the hypocrites. We talked about that and what they do. Verse 3, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Have you ever tried that? I mean, have you actually tried to fool one of your hands as to what the other hand uh, is doing? Uh, Unless you've got some crazy cybernetic arm that's being controlled by an alien from another universe or something, you know, you are going to know what both of your hands are are doing. Jesus is using it as an example. He's using it as an illustration to try and show us uh, where our heart should be, how we should go about doing this. Uh, uh, you know, don't do it for man's approval. So, what's a good way of doing that? Do it very quietly. Do it in secret. Uh, Rich will we'll probably get into this in a couple of weeks' time, so I don't want to steal his thunder, thunder but, but very briefly, maybe a few thoughts as to what, what, how we might think about that when we're giving. Uh, 
Remember, everything we have is already God's anyway. It's all his. Everything. Everything we have. Uh, He's created it and given it to us. It's our job to decide what to do with it, how to steward it, how to look after it. It's like someone has given us uh, their house keys while they've gone on holiday to Sicily or somewhere. And, And it's our job then to look after the house, to make sure it's okay, to decide what is best. They've given us, we're stewards for their house, we're stewards for this stuff. So we have to decide how much do we need, how much should we save, uh, how much should we give to church, how much should we give to other people, etc., etc., etc. There is no formula. There is no formula. There used to be a formula in the Old Testament that was 10%. Now there is no formula. Uh, The Bible tells us to be joyful givers, not moaning about it. It's similar, I guess, to this thing in fasting where Jesus, where Jesus is saying, don't be miserable when you're fasting. The Bible tells us to be joyful givers. Um, uh, and also, uh, as we were saying, he's, he's given us this advice to, to give in secret where possible. Um, that's one of the reasons why we don't hand around the collection plate, as an example. There's a box on the back wall, and people put some money in the box on the back wall, if they feel led to do that. Or we, or people give money through standing orders to the church. Uh, Andrew, as our treasurer, sees that and deals with it, because somebody's got to do all the accounts and that sort of thing. But certainly, as an elder, I'm not, I don't want to know. I'm not interested, because that starts to go against this. That can damage, that can, that can lead my heart in the wrong way. So I want to be careful about that. And so we're thankful for having such a, a great treasurer as Andrew. Um, but it does allow me to, to thank God for the way in which he's faithfully provided for the church. How he, he he's financially provided everything we need exactly when we needed it. It's about our hearts. Jesus is saying, this is about your heart. Get that in the right place. Uh, don't trust, don't put your trust in yourself. The Bible says we, if we have too much, we can trust in ourselves and we can forget who God is. It also says if we don't have enough, we might resort to theft. So what we want is to just have enough. What we want is to just give what God thinks, we, what God gives us the wisdom that we should give. That might be 10p, 5p, it might be a thousand quid. Whatever it is, our trust is in God. We rely on him. Giving is all about our heart. God does not need it. We give to get our heart in the right place. And there's a whole, there's a whole sermon on that. I don't, don't want to get really into that too much more or else we'll be here, we'll be here all night. Um, I might have to start showing, as an accountant, I might want to start showing you spreadsheets of how to give and that sort of thing. But I don't know anything like that. Do we have compassion when we give? Do we want to please God? Or do we want to only please other people? Do we want to be Jesus' hands and feet? It's not just about money, of course. It's about time. It's about our relationships. There's other things as well that we give. Well, so much for giving. That's enough on giving. I don't want to get too much into that. Let's look at verses 16 to 18. And fasting... Uh, now this is a, a very a much in, misunderstood practice. Uh, 
Uh, It's also one that's skipped over in just about every sermon series that you ever come across. Uh, A lot of the commentaries that we read don't even have these verses 16 to 18. It finishes about praying uh, and then jumps uh, straight on to uh, treasures in heaven. It doesn't actually talk about verses 16 to 18 at all. Uh, those of you who come uh, here regularly will know that we we really try to do our best not to avoid difficult passages, not to avoid the tricky passages in the Bible or things that are hard to explain. Uh, it's all God's word. It's all been given to us. So there's something that he wants us to know from here. So, so what we're talking about. Well, at the time what was going on is that the, this practice of fasting had got just out of hand with the Pharisees and the the other Jewish religious leaders. Uh, The law that God gave to the Israelites only commanded one fast on one day every year, and that was the Day of Atonement in the the Jewish calendar. Uh, Individuals were sometimes fast fast from time to time. Uh, Sometimes there's times of great mourning in their life, or their... Uh, the crops were bad or they're seeking victory in battle and so that happened. But, but just to really illustrate what Jesus was saying here, uh, because the Pharisees were trying to show how, how righteous they were, how holy they were, they were actually, they were actually fasting twice a week. Every Monday and every Thursday. They would not eat. And when you when you think about that, and and you think then about about the fact that they're walking around with uh, their faces looking glum, uh, sometimes they would put soot on their faces and and wear sort of old clothes, and uh, a bit like sort of uh, droopy off the cartoon. Hello, I'm the hero. <laughs> I'm really really doing this for God. Mm. Um, or Eeyore, you know, that, that kind of character. Um, it's hardly, it's hardly surprising then Jesus had something to say about it, because that is not what it is about. He, you know, he tells us, you know, you know, spine yourself up and, and get out there, so that it will not be obvious that you are fasting, so only your Father knows. Only God knows. Uh, again, notice And although fasting has fallen out of favour, notice again it says, when you fast, not if you fast. Then verse verse 16. Uh, Jesus clearly expected that his Bibles would from time to time fast. Uh, He did it himself. We read about that a few weeks ago in Matthew chapter 4. And the early church did it as well, Acts chapter 13. Jesus' point here is that it's it's about your desire. Where is your heart? Jesus is saying, don't draw attention to yourself. Yes, it's something that people may come to realise, but don't go out there going fasting. And fasting's pretty much out of vogue now, to be honest with you. It's something that Christians don't often talk about, not often taught on. And in actual fact, there is nothing the matter with fasting. We'll talk about it practically a bit in a minute, but there's nothing the matter with it. It is a perfectly good thing for Christians to be doing, as long as they're doing it from the right motivation. Is it going to increase our devotion to God? 
Is it going to decrease our devotion to other things? Is it going to increase our devotion to God? Decrease our devotion to other things? Will it increase our thankfulness to God? Will it get us used to doing without things that we actually don't really need anyway? Will it help us to slay, to put to death those sins, those bad habits, those things that that are a barrier between us and God? That's what we're looking for. Those are the kind of questions to ask yourself when you're thinking about it. It is not a religious way to lose weight. That is not what fasting is about. It is, and, and also, like prayer, we'll talk about this next week, it's not something we do to try to persuade God to do something. We're not trying to force God into our will by saying, oh, I'm really going to not fast, I'm really going to fast, Lord, not eat this stuff. And if I do that, Lord, then you'll do this for me. No, that is not how it works. We're trying to align our heart with God. That's what we're trying to do. It's not even necessarily about eating. I mean, back here, obviously, it was eating at the time. But uh, fasting can be any number of things. Something that is a barrier, something that is a problem. Some people I know have gone on technology fasts where they've only used a computer and their smartphone at work and at home for a week or two weeks no TV, no computer, no smartphones. I can see some of you going to panic mode at this point. This is not something you have to do. I know for some of you this is a, this would be a big deal. This is something, just an example of a kind of fast people go on sometimes. Uh, sometimes they will. Sometimes people will take a period of time without watching or taking part in their favourite sport. I'm. I'm feeling rather like going on a fast at the moment after yesterday's football results. I'm having a, a fast. That's really a morning fast. It could be anything. What is an idol in your life? What is an idol in your life? That is the thing that you can try to put to death with a fast. What is distracting you from your devotion to God? What is it that that you would say, I got, when you're fasting, you're trying to say, I need God more than I need this, whatever this is. One of my friends each year would give up chocolate for a period of time, every year. And bless her, she was so committed to this and so gracious. Uh, Her helpful housemates would pin Kit Kats onto her door throughout the week I have to say she was way more gracious about that than I would have been. I mean, I would have absolutely hit the roof. But she was, oh, ha, ha, look at them, what jokers. I don't know whether she saved the Kit Kats up for when she finished and ate them all one time, I don't don't know. But um, bless her heart. Again, let me just give you one of my uh, health warnings here, uh, statements of the obvious. If you are thinking about fasting through not eating and something else, It's not about how long you fast so much as with the state of your heart. Uh, What is your reason for fasting? I know people who fasted for half a day, and that has been great, or perhaps uh, a day. Uh, If you're going to be much longer than that, you need careful preparation and you need to seek people's advice and guidance. Uh, We do not want you falling falling unconscious while driving your car or operating heavy machinery or anything like that. Okay, so just be careful. 
because it is about your attitude. This is not about, yes, I've been fasting for the last 27 days or anything like that. Please don't do that. But perhaps you're here and you're not a Christian and you are just saying, Ian, what is all this business about seeking to please God? I mean, what are you saying? This is all very strange. Fasting, what do you mean, fasting? I mean, is that this like the 5-2 diet or something like that on, on steroids? No. No, no, no. We're not talking about anything like this. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, just consider for a moment, what are your motivations when you do things? Just, just being honest with yourself. Why... Why do you do perhaps good deeds that you do? Why do you do good things that you do? Are you seeking somebody's approval? If so, whose approval? I'm, I'm sure you do good things. Perhaps you help out your neighbours, help little old ladies across the road, give to charities. Maybe you don't try to, uh, maybe you're environmentally sensitive, you don't want to uh, over consume goods. You try to live a balanced life. Everything in moderation. Why? Why do that? Uh, why does that even matter to you? You may say, well, it, it makes me feel good. Okay, but wh- why does it make you feel good? If you're here and you're not a Christian, can I suggest that there are two underlying motivations? It could be that your actions give you, you satisfaction because... Other people will admire what you do. Perhaps your family and friends. Perhaps a wider public, maybe your neighbours. Perhaps they'll help you if you help them. Perhaps that's why you do. Or maybe maybe you, you don't care. I don't care what others think. I'm just doing it because I believe it's the right thing to do. I know it's good, so I'm going to do it. You slash. Your idea of what is good has come from God. Although it may have become distorted by society and our own motivations along the way, and it, and it, it often has, our sense of, of what is right, our sense of morals has come from God who created us. Why else is it so common around the world? Why, why do all the people in the world say, think that the same things are good and bad? How does, it, how does a child who has not yet learnt how to speak and doesn't really understand things very well, how have they already been perfectly been able to understand what is good and what is bad? Where have they got that idea from? Forgive me if I've told you this story before. One of my friends, uh, his mum had a special mug that only mum could drink from. So the family were gathered round the table one day and mum leaves the room. The one and a half year old kid gets mum's cup and drinks it, but doesn't drink it all. Drinks most of it, so that when they hear mum coming back in the room, just as mum comes back in the room, passes it to dad. And dad sort of goes, oh, thank you very much. So that as mum walks in the room, there is mum's cup, her special cup, almost entirely empty, in dad's hand. And the kid is just... How have they understood... That, it, that, that you know what is wrong and how to perfectly frame their dad at the age of one and a half or whatever. This just proves original sin as far as I'm concerned. 
Um, and my friend said it, it was so f- funny to see, first of all, and dad copying for it for a mum, but but also just what a what a clear illustration of what our hearts are like. So so if you're not here today and you're not a Christian and you you, you do not believe in God. I want to suggest to you that you are acting from one of these two motivations. Dear friend, can you see? Can you see that ultimately the praise and appreciation of people is empty? It means nothing at the end of the day. It is only God who can give us a reward that will last. Place your trust in him today. Put your faith in him today and do not keep leaning on what you understand is is good and right. And, and yeah, if I do this, it'll make everybody happy. No. Look for what God says is good and right. And please him. Put your trust in him today. Please, dear friend. So as we wrap up, what is, what is the desire of your heart today? Who do you look to for approval? Family, friends, your boss? Jesus applied this idea to giving and fasting and prayer here. But it's really true for everything we do. It is not that we have one life where we are where we are in church or with other believers and then one life when we're on our own. It is one whole life. It is all one whole thing. We can either seek the approval of the people around us or we can seek the approval of God. Not in order to be saved, not in order to be made right with him, but to please the one who's given us everything anyway. So whatever we do in our in our imperfect, flawed, messed up, broken, but, but trying way, we try to do sincerely to, to bring pleasure to God. Everything we do is worship. Every part of our life is worship. Everything we do should be for the glory of the one who's made us. Then whether we do those things in public or whether we do those things in private... They're done for the glory of God, to praise our Father in heaven and not us. Let's pray.